Amen. Well, Pastor Floyd was already talking about New Year's resolutions this morning, and so I have to ask, who made them? Not very many of you, right? Who broke them already? I don't need to know that, okay, <laughs> right? Some of us, we've made them, we've broke them already, week one. Um, it, it's a funny thing to me. Some people are very uh, anti-resolution, like they've resolved to never make resolutions, right? Um, but honestly, I think there is value in, in what Pastor Floyd said in, in setting some goals for the year ahead. Listen, in reality, nothing changed between January 31st at 11.59 and, I, I'm sorry, December 31st at 11.59 and January 1st at 12.01, okay? We're still, many of us, carrying the, the same problems, the same struggles, the same challenges are before us. The same blessings as well, amen, are before us. But the benefit of a new year, I love it, is this idea that we can start with a clean slate. And I want to say that is a very biblical way of thinking. We understand this, that when we come to Christ, that our past sins and our past failures are gone. They're not counted against us. If, if you and I have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our slate is wiped clean. There is therefore now no condemnation, amen, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it's a good thing to set some goals uh, for the new year because we as, as humans, we are aiming people. We, we need something to aim at to help us focus our attention. But what is it that we should aim for, for in 2021? Here's a good verse to direct us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Write this down. I want you to meditate on this verse some this week. Paul says there that as a redeemed people, he says we ought to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. As you're thinking about some goals for this new year, think about this. What does it look like for me to live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord? How can I be fully pleasing to God in 2021? What are the things that I'm going to commit to doing that will allow my life to bear fruit in every good work? How am I increasing in the knowledge of God? I would encourage you, build out some resolutions or some goals around those things. You see, here's my only issue when it comes to New Year's resolutions, is that sometimes we get things backwards in terms of our goals. Understand today that you are not body, soul, and spirit, your spirit, soul, and body. Let me say that again. You are not body, soul, and spirit, your spirit, soul, and body. You say, Pastor, you just said the same thing. No, no I didn't, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, mean, meaning change you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that order. It's spirit, then soul, and then body. You see, if you look at yourself as, as body, soul, and spirit, you will live your life from the outside in. But if you understand today that you are spirit, soul, and body, you'll live your life from the inside out. And those are two very different ways to live. You see, when you understand how important it is that you focus on your spirit and, and your relationship with God first, that that's the most important thing, okay? Not whether you come out of 2020 with a six-pack or not. That's not as important, right? But, but think about it. What is your spirit? 
Your, your spirit is that part of you that gives you the ability to communicate with God. What is your soul? It's a great movie on Disney, right? The <laughs> soul. It, it is that part of you that gives you the ability to communicate with yourself. You know who you are today because of your soul. Your personality is different than the person sitting next to you, right? Because of your soul. And what is your body? Well, your body is really what gives you the ability to communicate with your environment. You think about the five senses, right? And so the way that you ought to live your life is from your spirit to your soul and then to your body. The reason we struggle so often with broken bodies is because we have broken souls. Just think about the one that is struggling with addiction, right? Gone through every rehab and every program, but then he comes to the end of himself and he says, you know what, I can't do this. I, I cannot shake the desire for drugs on my own uh, strength. And God says, that's great because I've got you right where I want you, right? You're at the end of yourself. And at the end of yourself, guess what? It's your spirit that cries out. When your body has failed you, it's your spirit that cries out. When your body has failed you, it is the spirit within you that cries out to God. And so here's what I want to do for uh, the first weeks of 2020. I want to begin the year by talking about some spiritual disciplines. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul writes to a young Timothy, and he says this to him. He says, for physical training is of some value. He says, Timothy, it's all right if you go to 24-hour fitness. That's got some value to it. But then he says this, but godliness has value for all things. Touch your neighbor and say all things. All things. All things. Godliness has value for all things. Listen to this. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Spiritual disciplines, what are they? There are those things that help to give us a, a right perspective and allow us to live our lives from the inside out, from your spirit to your soul to your body. I heard a story of uh, two lumberjacks. There was an older lumberjack and a younger one. And both of them had great expertise and speed. Both of them were, were fearless lumberjacks. They could clear a forest in, in no time. But one day, the younger man challenged the older one to a contest. He said, oh, man, I think I could beat you. I could cut down more trees than you. And so he said, all right, let's do it. And so the next day, they began this contest, and both of them went out with their axes and went to work. And the younger man, with his vim and his, his vigor, his vitality, he begins in earnest chopping down one tree after another after another without stopping. And so they're out there, and tree after tree is falling. Both men are using their axe and their skill to fall these trees. But it was about midday when the, the younger man noticed the older lumberjack. He would chop trees for about an hour, and then he would take a 15-minute break. And the young man laughed. He said, well, this is great, right? There's no way that old man could keep up with me. He needs a break every hour, and I could just keep going. And at the end of the day, when all the trees had fallen and they were counted, the older lumberjack had actually chopped down one-third more trees than the younger lumberjack. The younger lumberjack is trouble. He said, how in the world, right? How could this happen? And he goes up to the older lumberjack. He says, how could you, taking a break every hour, cut down more trees than I did, cutting nonstop all day? And the older lumberjack responded to him, because when I stopped to rest, I sat down and I sharpened my axe. I want to say a lot of you 
have been working hard to do the right thing through 2020. And maybe you feel like, man, I've been going nonstop, but if you're honest today, the axe has gotten dull, and you wonder why the trees aren't falling the way that you expect them to. Maybe you made resolutions at the beginning of the year, but after two or three months of what we've walked through, right, all of a sudden the axe is dull and the trees stop falling. And so I want to spend some time talking about these spiritual disciplines. Understand, these are the things that will keep your spiritual axe sharp. They are the gateway to get to God in the midst of the crises of life. Richard Foster, the author of Celebration of Discipline, he identifies 12 disciplines. I want to share them with you today. He calls these disciplines really the door to liberation. I think we have a slide for this here. He says 12 disciplines, okay? There are four of what he would call inward disciplines. They are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. And then there's the outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then there's what he would call the, the corporate disciplines, what we do when we come together, right, as a church. Confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And so as we begin this new year, I want to cover some of these spiritual disciplines. So we're not going to talk about all 12. We may uh, jump around a little bit, but today I want to jump ahead a little bit and talk to you this morning about fasting. I don't know if this is a discipline that you have practiced or a discipline that you've avoided. Some of you say, I've avoided that, Pastor. And maybe you've said in your own life, well, that's only for the super spiritual. I, 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 I don't believe that's for me. That's only for someone on another level. But I want to tell you today, I believe there is tremendous value to the discipline of fasting. What is fasting? Simply put, it's this. Fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It's important to know that fasts, when we talk about a biblical fast, it has a spiritual purpose. You didn't fast just because you forgot to eat breakfast, okay? That wasn't a fast, all right? It's about having a spiritual purpose. And there's different kinds of fasts. The most typical is to go a day or so without food. Some people will fast from food and water, but you can only do that for a very short time. There are limited fasts when people allow themselves juice or some other liquid sustenance during their fast. There are partial fasts, like the Daniel fast, right, where you give up certain types of food for a period of time. Many do this during Lent, right? They'll give up sweets or you'll give up meat from the time of Ash Wednesday until Easter. But today I want to concentrate on the idea of fasting from food. Now, you can fast from a lot of things. You can fast from television. You can fast from social media. You can fast from shopping. All the husbands said amen, right? Um, honestly, you can fast from anything that is habitual in your life. And it's actually good to fast from things that you obsess about because it reminds you that you can do without them. Now, we don't hear much about the topic of fasting these days because we live in a culture that is full of golden arches and drive throughs right? We, we live in a culture where the propaganda all around us would lead us to believe, man, if I don't have three large meals a day and some snacks in between, I'm going to starve <laughs> and I'm going to die. Listen, you're not going to die, okay? Some of us could last for months on what we just ate the last two weeks, right? We're, we're not going anywhere, right? But the biggest reason that we don't hear a lot about fasting these days is that we live in a culture that believes it is a positive virtue to satisfy every single human appetite. 
Now listen to me today. There is nothing evil about food. (laughs) The Word of God has a lot to say about eating, and eating in such a way that it becomes a a thing of praise and thanksgiving to God, right? Yet in the fallen world that we live in, we need strategies like fasting to discern our own hearts and to test our own hearts. Does, Does anything, including food, have such a grip on me that I can't let it go for a time? You see, regular fasting is a way of testing whether anything has an unhealthy hold on your life. And so the Word of God has so much to say about this ancient discipline. I think we need to look at it. I've been challenged as I've studied this week to incorporate this on a more regular basis in my own spiritual life. When we look at the pages of Scripture, we see that everyone of importance in the Bible practiced fasting. Moses, the great lawgiver, David the king, Elijah the prophet, Esther the queen, Daniel the seer, Anna the prophetess, Paul the apostle, and even Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God. All of them practiced fasting as a spiritual discipline. And when Jesus taught on fasting, he would say this, when you fast, not if you fast, he would say, when you fast. In other words, he approached this topic with the assumption that fasting would be a part of your life. And and it's not just the great people of the Bible that practice fasting. It's also some great saints of the church down through the ages that practice fasting as a regular part of the spiritual discipline. It was men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and John Knox and Jonathan Edwards, these great men of the church through the ages. But you may ask today, why should I fast, Pastor? That's good for them, but why should I do it? Well, let me begin by sharing with you a few reasons not to fast. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus said this, when you fast. Again, he's assuming that you will, right? He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, what does it say? Will reward you, right? Here Jesus gives us the the first most important lesson, okay? Uh, Not fasting. Do not fast if you're only doing it to be noticed by men. It's somewhat sobering, right, to see that Jesus' first statement about fasting deals with the question of motive. I think motive was at the heart of all of Jesus' teaching, right? Because if we use good things to our own ends, it's really a sign of false religion. And Jesus said that those who look somber and try to make others feel sorry for themselves because they're fasting, he says they're hypocrites. And he says they'll get their reward. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, a great book on fasting and prayer, if you're looking for something to read along those lines, he says this. He says, if the reward you aim at in fasting is the admiration of others, that is what you will get, and that will be all you get. In other words, the danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful. It aims at the praise of men, and it succeeds, but that's all. You see, our reward in fasting should be the knowledge of God and not the praise of men. If you want the praise of men, go ahead. Go ahead and fast and point out to everyone what you're doing and how hungry you are and how great you're suffering for Jesus. But the reality is at that point, you're not doing it for Jesus, right? 
And Jesus knows it, and he will not honor your appearance of godliness with the knowledge of him. Men will praise you, but you won't find the Father. Man, I'll tell you what, I love food. i got to be honest this morning, all right? Uh, like, I'm a foodie. I, I look at pictures of food. I, I find the, the restaurants around. I want to know where's the best place to eat, right? And, and if I'm going to give up three meals a day, the last thing I want to do is settle for the applause of men. Like, if I'm going to do this, it's because I want to know Jesus more. It's because I want to understand the Father more. Like, give me the Father, and if I can't have him, let's go to Shake Shack, man. Why am I going to waste my time for, for your approval of my life? But hear this. Jesus did not say that your fast is invalid if others find out about it. Again, he's talking about your motive for fasting. It's funny to me that some people have turned this teaching into some superstition on the same page as making like a birthday wish, right? You know how it goes? You make a wish, you blow out the candles, and as long as you don't tell anyone, your wish will come true, right? Listen, don't fast so others will know, but, but keep it between you and God. But if others find out, understand, your heart motive isn't any less pure. I've seen it when people are fasting and others are asking them, right? And they're, what are you, why aren't you eating, right? And they don't want to say anything, and they find out. They're like, oh, man, you found out, right? I'm done. I'm going to start eating, right? Listen, if people find out you're fasting, it does not nullify the sanctity of your fast. But if you're fasting so that others will be impressed, it means there was no sanctity in the first place, right? But this birthday wish superstition points out the second reason not to fast. You should not fast because you want all of your wishes to come true. Okay, there's plenty of teaching out there that suggests that a person can fast for a few days and then get whatever they want from God. Like, fast for a few days, ask for that boat, and God will provide it, right? Fast for a few days, and you'll receive all the money you need to pay for your debts. Fast for a few days, and God will give you the job that you want. i got to say, I don't find this anywhere in Scripture. While fasting may make us ready to know God's will and to pray according to that will, it, it will never be a means by which we can manipulate God or twist his arm to do our will, Right? You see, if you fast as though you're blowing out the candles and hoping that your wish will come true, you will soon be disappointed with God and you'll be disillusioned with this idea of fasting. Finally, a third reason not to fast is if you don't understand fasting. And that's why I want to talk about it some this morning, what it really means in our lives. Remember this today, that we are included in Christ by faith, not by our works, okay? Fasting is not something that ultimately saves us. We, we don't need to compete with one another. We don't need to compare ourselves to one another. At least we're not supposed to, right? And there are several disciplines, though, that will allow us to enter into a deeper place with God. And I think fasting is one of those opportunities that God wants us to step into. But the worst thing that you can do is to try to practice it out of some sense of obligation to someone else without really understanding what it means, right? I want to make it perfectly clear that nobody should feel obligated to fast even if we're calling for a corporate fast, and especially if fasting is new to you and you don't understand it. And so those are the reasons not to fast. Now let me give you some reasons why you should fast. Maybe you want to write these down. Number one, I would say this, fasting is feasting on God. Fasting is feasting on God. Jesus said, if you fast without the motive to impress others, your fasting in secret 
will be rewarded in secret by the Father. What does that mean? It means in that secret place, all of a sudden there is a new sense of God's presence with you. Your Father in heaven, he's actually your reward. You see, this is the great overarching purpose of fasting. If we're talking about the purpose of fasting, it means it is a means through which we draw near to God and he rewards us with the knowledge of his presence. Dallas Willard and Richard Foster agree that fasting is feasting. Okay? When we fast, we're not suffering for suffering's sake. No, fasting is passing up on the appetizers and the salad because we know the main course is much better, right? I don't know about you, but when I'm at a buffet and I got one plate, okay, and I'm about to get on that line, there's no room for salad on the plate. Are you with me? I, I got about a foot of plate to work with, and, and, and there's no room for that salad. I, I'm, not, I'm pushing it aside because I'm making room for what is ahead. And, and so I want to encourage you, church, when you think about fasting, don't think about what you're giving up, but think about what you're making room for. You, you see, fasting is always a great opportunity to know God more, to understand his will more, to discern his voice in a greater way. And so in that sense, think about it. Fasting is far more satisfying than anything you're giving up for the sake of knowing God more. But here's the reality. You won't know that to be true until you fast. You see, so many Christians just keep on eating the appetizers and the salads of life, and they say, well, this, this is good enough. I'm good where I am, without realizing that there is a main course that is far greater and far more satisfying. It is common, if you haven't fasted, to look at fasting and say, man, that's just too high a price, Pastor. I, I can't go without my breakfast and my coffee, right? I need that. And so here's the reality. I think a lot of us, we do spend a lot of time fasting. We do. We spend a lot of time fasting from God and feasting on food and the other pleasures of life, right? But, but fasting is this very intentional way of saying, God, you mean more to me. You mean more to me than any of these things, even the good things like food that you've given to me. John Piper, in his book, he writes this. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. Think about that. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. He says, I invite you to turn from the doling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and say with some simple fast, this much, oh God, I want you. Hear me today. First and foremost, if, if you hear no other reasons today for fasting, hear this. Fasting is feasting. And if you fast for no other reason, you'll find this to be true. Secondly, I would say fasting. Why fast? Because it allows you to give yourself to prayer over an urgent matter. Most of the examples of fasting in the Bible occur in the face of great danger. It was when the armies of Moab and Ammon were bearing down on Judah that King Jehoshaphat, it says this, he resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. When Queen Esther was made aware of Haman's plot to kill all the Jews, she instructs Mordecai. She says, go and gather all the Jews who are in Susa, and what does she say? She says, fast for me. 
Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will fast as you do. There are times in life, church, where you're going to realize the only hope that we have is the Lord's favor, right? And it's in those moments when you and I need to inquire of the Lord, and fasting is one way to tune our attention to him. It's expressing our desperation for him above all other things. It makes us still to hear his voice and ready to see his hand at work. Fasting leads, it always leads to more earnest prayer. Many people fast when they're desperate for God to answer their prayers. And that's right, that's fitting, right? We, we can fast when we need rescue from a bad situation, when we need healing for a loved one, when we need direction in our life, whatever it is. Yet fasting is not some kind of spiritual hunger strike that compels God to do our bidding, but fasting can always bring a sense of urgency to our prayers, We're coming to the Father and we're telling him, we're also telling ourselves, right, how important this issue that's before us is. Author Wallace, he writes this, he says, fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity to our praying and to give force to our pleading in the courts of heaven. The man who prays with fasting, listen to this, he says, the man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly in earnest. Not only so, but he's expressing his earnestness in a divinely appointed way. He is using a means that God has chosen to make his voice heard on high, right? Thirdly, I would say this, fasting is a way of humbling yourself. Fasting is a way of humbling yourself. Fasting can humble us. Oftentimes, all the things in life that we take pride in, they they seem to be stripped away in fasting. The ability to move and think fast, we feel like, man, I'm not so clear here, right? The ability to be productive, our physical strength are, are somewhat reduced in fasting. Some people say, Pastor, I can't fast because it makes me weak. I say, well, that's a good thing because it's a reminder when I'm weak, he's strong, right? Sometimes I need to slow down a little bit. I think sometimes fasting should be called slowing, right? Fasting can be an act of humility just as kneeling or or bowing before God is an act of humility, so is fasting. One of the most wicked men in Jewish history, King Ahab, eventually humbled himself before God, and how did he do it? He demonstrated it by fasting. First Kings, in First Kings we read, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? How did he humble himself? It was by fasting. David, one of the most righteous kings in history, also humbled himself through fasting. Fourthly, I would say, why fast? It's to know the will of the Father. To know the will of the Father. When you fast, understand this, your food is to do the will of the Father. Jesus said it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, fasting can be a time of expressing to God that you are joined with Christ in completing his mission. Here's what I've seen. I think most people are very quick to declare the gospel as good, but slow to take personal responsibility for sharing it. 
When it, when it comes to claiming personal responsibility in the church, we're more likely to claim personal responsibility for the style of music in the church or making sure the money is spent the right way. Man, I've seen war over these things, right? But, but there are very few who consider the urgency of the gospel something worth fighting for. If we're honest, our, our God is so often our own stomachs, right? And filling our appetites is, is far too high of a priority much of the time. But fasting is a way to declare that the thing that actually sustains us most is doing the will of God. Like the thing that ought to drive our lives is joining with Christ in spreading hope to a world that desperately needs hope. Fifth reason to fast, I would say this, is to express sorrow for sins. If you know the story of Jonah, you know the Lord called him to go and preach to who? to the Ninevites, right? And they were a, a wicked people. And so Jonah says, I don't want to go, man. I don't want to see the Ninevites repent. I want to see the Ninevites destroyed, God, right? But, but eventually Jonah finally gets around to preaching in Nineveh, and the Ninevites believed God, Jonah 3.5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What was sackcloth? Sackcloth was a rough, coarse cloth, like a bag-like garment that was worn as a symbol of repentance. Think about a super itchy sweater, all right? That's what sackcloth is, right? And when Nineveh heard the message of coming judgment, they did a quick moral inventory. They said, man, we really are off here. And they realized what they had coming, and so they began to, to weep and mourn over their sin in their life, to, to cover themselves in hope of finding mercy. I want to ask, when was the last time that you wept over sin in your own life? Listen to the decree of the king in Jonah 3, 7. It says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Listen to this. Even the animals were fasting, right? He said, don't even feed the animals, right? The dog's fasting with us today, okay? Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? He says, there's a chance that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, they, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster and he said he would do to them and he did not do it. I want to tell you, fasting can be a means for wearing sackcloth in our life. It's a way of entering into mourning over sins in our life that maybe have separated us from, from God for a season, the sins in our life that required the Father to send his Son to the cross on our behalf. You see, when you are fasting, I want to tell you this, you will be amazed at how aware you become of sin in your life. And as you're aware, then the fast provides an opportunity for repentance. It, it provides an opportunity to, to put off the old self and put on the new self. And here's the thing, as we see God's mercy in that place, it calls us to offer our bodies once again as a living sacrifice and pleasing to God. Last reason I would say to fast, well, as we come to a close here, I would say this is to express a desire for Christ's return. 
There, there are some, you know, that would teach that fasting is not proper for today. And the, the verse they go to is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. There, John's disciples come and they ask Jesus, how is it that, that we and the Pharisees fast? You say to Jesus, but your disciples are not fasting. And what's Jesus' answer? He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and they will fast. Many argue that since Jesus was raised from the dead and that he sent his spirit to man, we no longer need to fast. But Jesus also said that he was going away, right, to prepare a place for us and he would send the spirit to, to be our counselor and to be our guide to truth. He also told parables about being ready for the return of the bridegroom. Listen, we are in an age, church, where we are the bride of Christ. And we ought to expectantly be awaiting the return of the bridegroom. And fasting is one of those ways that we keep the oil in our lamp burning as we watch for his return. So how do you fast? Very practically. Let me share this with you as we close. I want to say, if you've never fasted before, a great way to start is to start small. Fasting's a little bit like exercise. You want to train yourself. You don't want to just jump into a 40-day fast like, Pastor, I'm going for it, right, with no training. You wouldn't run a marathon without training. Okay, so don't go, I'm going to go 40 days, full bore, right? Start by fasting one meal, then try fasting two meals, then do a 24-hour fast. But when you're fasting, always determine the purpose of the fast. Is it to seek God? Is it to, to know him more? Is it to seek direction? Is it to pray for an urgent matter or concern in your life? You see, a bigger need probably warrants a longer, more regular fast, but 40 days is the exception. I don't know too many that have gone 40 days. I would also say this, don't fast if it's not medically safe, okay? If you're diabetic or if you're pregnant or if you have some condition, right, check with your doctor if you're not sure, okay? I'm just gonna, that's a little side note there, right? But a good substitute for some might be a partial fast, like the Daniel fast. We read in Daniel chapter 10 how Daniel ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched his lips. Remember, God sees the heart when we fast. He sees the heart and the motive. Here's the other practical thing. Drink a lot of water when you fast, okay? You don't realize how much water you get from food until you fast, and so make sure you drink plenty of water. If you fast for more than a couple of days, be sure to break the fast slowly, okay? You're going to get sick if you go right to Wendy's drive through at the end of it all. It's not going to go good, all right? <laughs> Begin to break the fast with some soup, something light, right? But when you're fasting, here's the deal. Remember to turn off the TV. Remember to put aside the social media. Remember to use that time to actually seek God and make sure, man, the rest of your life is as straight as you can make it, right? See, fasting is of little value by itself if it doesn't communicate a humble heart that is hungry for God. Would you stand with me this morning, church? Here's my challenge to you in this area of fasting. Again, maybe you've never fasted before, but, but I want you to be open to it this morning, and I want you to go from here prepared to be made new in an attitude of your mind. If you've ever thought that fasting was too high of a price, I want you to consider it again. What may be open to you in this area is an entire new arena through which your life may be immersed into Christ. Do you want to feast on the Father this year? Do you need to give yourself to prayer over an urgent matter? Would you desire to humble yourself before God? Do you want to know 
and do his will this year. Maybe there's sin in your life that you want to turn from and finally find freedom from. Do you want to know Christ in in a greater way? Are you looking forward to his return? You see, fasting is a way to enter into these realities in a new way. This Tuesday night, we're going to have our first prayer meeting of the year. And I want to encourage you to do whatever you can to make it out here on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. We're going to spend some time just seeking the Lord together, seeking his direction, seeking his wisdom as a church and in our families and as individuals. But I want to encourage you, each and every one of you, to prayerfully consider how you would fast before then. Some of you may be fasting a meal. Maybe it's the same meal Monday and Tuesday. Some of you can fast a day. Some of you can fast both days. But listen to this. Jesus said a strange thing in John chapter 6, verse 51. As we come to this time of communion, he said this. He said, I'm the living bread. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. He said, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. As we prepare to receive communion in just a few moments, we understand in this verse, eating the bread, man, that sounds a little cannibalistic, right, as you read it. But Jesus is not speaking literally, but figuratively. He is in the flesh the bread that really nourishes us. You see, if he had not come in the flesh, we would not have life today. But he gave that flesh for the world. And when we fast, instead of eating physical food, we are choosing to eat the bread of Jesus' flesh, which is this. We unite ourselves with his suffering for the world. It's a way of saying with Paul, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. I hope that's your prayer for the year ahead. And so before we come to the communion table, just around this room, take a moment with heads bowed around this room just to seek the Lord this morning. As we remember what Christ has done for us, let's take a moment to reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us. And in this moment, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just ask the Holy Spirit to lead you as to how you should respond in this area of fasting. Let's take a moment even before we sing.